Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wake up in the morning feeling like Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because I'm a woman Hello, friend. Hey, we're back. We're back. A little hiatus last week. Sorry, I'm just wow. checking my watch to see what my um, what my exercise minutes are today because I did a high intensity interval training session this morning. Don't know if you've heard. Maybe you sound like Uncle Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> No, that is one of my favourite scenes in Gavin and Stacey when he turns the spare bedroom into a gym and he's working out in his jeans. I've not seen that. Oh my God. I'm going to find it. And then um, Smithy comes down and does like a couple of reps on the like weights bench as well. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I do wonder with the lockdown gyms, obviously that is literally any athlete of any level was putting out there with their training and you know it was all fine and it was always really engaging to start off with and they were like obviously completely over filming themselves in it but how many of those how many people bought home gym equipment like how many hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of a kit is now completely yeah completely redundant and drying on it Mm. You know what? I'm going to tell you a story. So I probably shouldn't like reveal this, but I know that you're going to be interviewing this person this week. So at the beginning of lockdown, Stuart Hogg, international rugby player, big name, had a load of gym equipment delivered to his garage and he turned it into a home gym. And every day he'd go into the garage and tell Gillian that he had to do his program for the club and that it was two hours long. And then one day Gillian asked if she could come and join in and it turned out it was only 30 minutes, but he'd spend an extra hour and a half hiding from the kids in the garage every day. <laughs> you know what? Uh, <laughs> there must be so many people that have d- done that because they normally use the going to the gym in inverted oh, as an escape and um, i'm trying to think of things that like you know we didn't have a home gym or at least i stayed up at mum and dad's we've got a um like a knockoff watt bike so my dad would go and do that but i don't think my dad's ever washed his car as many times as he did during lockdown <laughs> to, like get away from me and mum on a daily basis 
gonna and he'd like spread it out so we'd like do the body of the car and then the next morning he'd get up and he'd go gonna have to go out and do those wheels today so uh i'll be out this afternoon just don't disturb doing the wheels it is weird though isn't it because i remember the first week of lockdown i got to like day six or so and i was i went into this ultimate panic and i was like we're gonna be coming out of lockdown next week and i've not done loads of jobs that i now have time to do and literally within about two seconds of thinking that I was on my knees in the kitchen, emptying cupboards, cleaning out cupboards. But you would like ring me and you'd be like, oh, look at this. And I'd be like, what? And you'd be like, emptied this cupboard. I'd be like, where's the stuff, Nolan? You'd be like, on the floor in the living room, but it's not in the cupboard anymore, (laughs) is it? Right. Talking about hoarding, I've got to tell you this. So we finally gone Christmassy in southwest london i was actually going to say my address then probably not ideal to reveal that (laughs) publicly um but um i was busy working which obviously we're going to talk about um over the weekend and on sunday i was at twickenham and i i can't remember oh so simone in the morning had said to me it was really really sweet he was like it's the last round i know you're going to be amazing you're going to completely sparkle and i was like oh like it was really sweet anyway so i arrived and i was like team we're gonna sparkle anyway the um i'm just going on my phone because i've forgotten the word so we've decided that sparkle was going to get into the opening link and then i'm bear with bear with um the producer story but you know i have watched the program what's the word then (laughs) (laughs) ao was like oh Nolly, you look nice and you're like you look spooly doofus and i was like and at first i was like what why have they not cut that out what on earth has she said um to coruscate so i said oh. that i was referring to right start the story again smoney said sparkle i told the team then basically john was like a really good word for sparkle is coruscate or to, it's coruscating and i was like Oh my God, like I really need to get that in. LJ will be very impressed and know that I've not come up with this, but I'm still going to get it in. Anyway, so I was, we got it in and it was all great. Anyway, I said to my testimony, I was like, oh, I've got a surprise for you on the show. And he was like, oh, I've got a surprise for you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I know he'd been into town. So I thought, oh, maybe he's just got me like a cake or something or an extra large tomato. Anyway, I arrive back home and there's like flashing in the, in the front room. And he went, oh, the TV's on. I was like, the the TV is not orange and red and green. Like, no, it's not. Have you, have you, and anyway, he proceeded in telling me how he'd been able to get this new Christmas tree. So I walk into the front room and no joke, it looks like it should have come from Claridge's. It is that big in our house. It's taking over. Oh, it's a beautifully formed, very, very plump tree in the middle of our room. And the room was freezing. And I was like, have you not got the heating on? And it was so big, it's covering the radiator. All of the Christmas decorations are up in the um, loft. Now, you know how much I like to hoard. He was like, I went up to loft and I was like, no! Anyway, he turned around and has got a massive cut across his nose because he basically pulled stuff in everything. My Jenga block of all of my stuff, of years of hoarding, fell on his face. And a, and a folder that from my uni days 
smashed him in the nose, gave him a bleeding nose, and then <laughs> Koya was barking. He nearly fell off the ladder. Um, but anyway, oh he survived. And the tree looks great. Christmas. And the tree is great. Um, it's pretty cold in the flat, in the house. I don't even know where I live. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to put people off the scent because I nearly <laughs> sent my address. <laughs> this is going to make you laugh. Um, I made gingerbread for my BBC boss and colleagues. Um, I made flat pack gingerbread houses because I'm that much of a suck up. And also because I'm that much of a suck up, I have just collected a box to pack a panettone into for me to send to the Varnies to say thank you for being so nice. And I did that feature the week before last. Mate, you're such a suck up. People remember nice people. Yeah, you know what? To be fair, I actually really enjoy I, I mean, I, I, I say this like I'm shocked every time that you do good work. But I, <laughs> um, I, I, it's up there with one of my favourite things that you've done, mainly oh. because it starts off with you walking to the camera. And I, and I had this like, um, this flash, weirdly, I'm not quite sure where the link was, but you know when um, James Bond comes out of the water? Um, oh yeah. Listening... <laughs> okay. Yeah, like you in a um, prison of war camp in Wales. <laughs> what, no, again, it reminds me, because I've got black boots and black tights on, I feel like it looks like the old beginning credits of the bill. You know, it used to be those like, oh, I love the bill. but those shoes, like I've worn <laughs> those for a few pieces and they look nice. And then oh, my mum said I look like one of the tweenies. Do you remember they used to wear those big boots? And mate, you know what? It was a cool story. And for those that haven't seen it. It's an amazing um, yeah, story. For those who haven't seen it, you may have read about it because after I put the work into doing the piece, Every newspaper then ran the story after my feature and loads of them like used the quotes from it. That's not happened to me before. Where, and it's one of those things where it wound me up a little bit because I just thought, oh, you I take it as a compliment though. Yeah, you do. But it like, they put like in the telegraph piece, they put speaking to scrum five. And I was a bit like <laughs> speaking to LJJ. <laughs> 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 um, but they were, well, just, they were such a lovely family, the Varneys, and it was an amazing story to tell. And then it, it felt like it was written in the stars that Stephen then got his first start against Wales and played really well. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does when he goes back to Gloucester. Him and Lewis Reece Samet have played together since they were 16 at Hartbury College. And it's really nice to see two youngsters who've gone through this autumn nations cup and done well and that is my favorite thing about the autumn nations cup this year that we've seen youth on the global stage making debuts and doing well danielle sean waterman what has been your favorite thing about the autumn nations cup I think there's loads of things i think from a rugby perspective so to put it into perspective with your comment about young players um completely agree and i found out that 42 players, so a little bit of stats, 42 players got first caps, um, which I just think is so cool because 42. as much as, yeah, 42 new caps wow. over the four weeks, uh, 13 games, there was 259 different players that played in the autumn, which as much as like <coughs> it wasn't maybe the best um, rugby and um, I don't know, loads of people were moaning about certain things. For me, the fact that the games are played 
people got that, you know, over 250 people got to wear their um, country share. And it wasn't, you know, not in full stadiums, but um, obviously with no one there. But um, yeah, and I think that was probably one of the coolest things. And then, and also as sad as it sounds, the fact that the crowd at Twickenham, the game was epic. Um, it was ridiculous. Like everyone was like going like, what's happening? Like I had to go onto my email to check what happened if there wasn't a score after the... Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm not gone. in favour of sudden death. I don't think in rugby that works. Um, it's What's difficult is that you are basically screwed if you don't get the restart because yeah. England just smashed it long and then it's really hard to get out of your 22 and the pressure now and teams can play to to get that penalty what was mental though was they got that penalty own foul hit in the posts I literally like what I blurted out laughter because I couldn't believe it happened and then the fact that they kicked and the one person in world rugby that you would you would I would put probably my house on catching a high ball that drops it and Billy even like knocks it on I was like what is going on Um, Ben Poles from the Telegraph like tweeted I actually laughed out loud and I think that was like it wasn't like you found it funny it was like it was such a kind of like guttural natural reaction like this is a comedy of errors at this point like what is that thing of like there had been so many tweets beforehand of people saying you know oh France is third 15 against England disrespecting the tournament like poor Andrew Cotter at at no point in his preparation last week did he probably think right I will just cast my eye over the rules for a draw uh, (laughs) he probably literally was sat there like (laughs) (laughs) final with the super over nobody really knew what was going on also because because it is such a rarity for not obviously for there to be draws in rugby, but for there to be draws in matches where we have to have a result. We don't have, it's not like football where it's um, extra time penalties or as it used to be golden goal and, or, uh, and then penalties eventually we're now, we we just, we change it every time. Like the penalty shootout rules, if it had gone to that have now changed to what they were four years ago which had changed from when the Blues lost to Leicester in the Heineken Cup in 2009 we can't really make our minds up about like what the ideal way to do this is so just to say right I was this is so bad I still feel guilty and we're like eight years on um so I was doing some announcing at the UK school games for Rugby Sevens and um, I was with Amy T and Sunza and we were basically like, as a try was scored, we were announcing it. If there was like dead time, we'd just be chatting amongst each other, just like to the five parents um, that were there. And um, it was hilarious, but we forgot that basically the speakers on, it was really quiet on our side because the speakers were on the other side and one of the speakers was projected to where all of the teams and every, all the players were. Um, so anyway, end of the semi-final goes to sudden, like they don't score, extra time don't score. And they're like, right, going to drop goal in front of the um, posts. And one of the girls like absolutely butchered this kick. And I, I basically said before the kick, uh, something about like, oh, um, you know, great opportunity she's been you know such fantastic no pressure (laughs) she missed it and then I reacted and I was like oh god like 
basically on the microphone oh, and then everyone was so bad and like one of the coaches came over to me stabbed down afterwards coach in Ireland was literally like Nolly you're brutal and I was like oh. that's really that poor kid no. anyway um we go back to the autumn nations if, cup if it's gone to um penalties in the world cup final the when you played who would have been the nominated kickers i can tell you that i would never have been nominated <laughs> so on Saturday, even if they got through to the they 20s. would have to not they had to nominate five kickers so you'd imagine that all five of them are going to come from your back line what, what? Um, no, Harriet Miller Mills is a decent kick. You know what? Actually, before the two thousand, Rocky in there before you put your hand. Yeah, up. yeah, Rocky, Rocky. Right, so we're start in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Rocky's a great kicker now. No, genuinely. So in Amsterdam, my first ever rugby tour. I was uh, how old? I was this second or third year of uni, so like nineteen, twenty. Never been allowed on like a proper senior tour because like. I went straight into kind of senior setup and that's what wasn't allowed. And so I toured with Henley over to Amsterdam sevens. There was seven front row and three backs in our team. We made it to a semi-final. how we did it. We played Samurai, right? So it's like all of the, all the Bristol girls, all the Welsh, like non Evans, you know, all these like international, players. like obviously I was an international sevens player, but I was with like Rocky and the rest of the front row, basically. Anyway, I scored this like breakaway try and a bit right in the corner and that, I think they'd scored and like, I don't know. Anyway, it was to like level the game to get the kick. And so everyone was like trotting back, like no chance. The crowd go mental, right? And Rocky's going, FNL, I only got the kick. Did you see it? And we were like, no, we were like, no. She like nudged this drop goal from the touchline <laughs> to draw the game, right? And we're so hungover. I was like, being sick before the game. I was like, I don't want to play anymore. Like, I can't play in a final. Maybe, that, and, maybe that's what Rocky needed to slot the kick, a bit of Dutch courage. Excuse the pun. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Cringe. <laughs> anyway, but they, like, we... They kicked off to that. One of our players just booted it because they just couldn't be bothered to run anymore. <laughs> and they caught it and they were like, run back. And you could see, literally physically see all of our team like just kind of dive out the way, like do these <laughs> comedy dives for tackles so that they could score so we didn't have to look, do any more. Um, but anyway, I would put myself behind Rocky um, and most players, to be fair. But yeah. I'm okay with that. Thanks. Um, yeah. Hello. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you made it into World Rugby's team of the decade at the World Rugby Awards this week. I can't believe you just read that off a bit of paper and just couldn't, didn't know I, it off the I'd Like when we chatted <laughs> earlier on, I'd completely forgotten that we needed to mention that. Um, yeah, there you are. Team of the decade. I know. Pretty mad, really. Especially um, since you beat out the player of the decade. Yeah, uh, so there's been a bit of like debate about it. Basically, the player of the decade was from all of the world players of the year. So and they put them in. Vote. Yeah, public vote. And then that the one I got in was um, an expert panel that I was actually part of. I didn't select myself, obviously. I didn't like put myself oh, I'll in. Oh, out here, guys. Yeah. I'll just leave these bottles like, of wine on the table that I've provided. Well, they, they were saying... Um, they're like, yeah, you, you obviously can't vote for the position that you're playing in. And I was like, 
might put myself in on the wing then because they're yeah. putting me down as a fuller. <laughs> well, I have played from half for England, not in yeah, the decade, but um, yeah, you know what? It like I it was mad doing doing the process actually because we did this long list in every single position and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like for all of these different people. And what was really tough is, and I think lots of people have been this debate about like the decade and, and, um, you know, Brian O'Driscoll finished in 2013, Maggie finished in 2014. And like, but then, you know, for Maggie, I, I didn't do the guys one, but for Maggie, like it, it was kind of like, well, how good were they? What impact did they have on their team? You know, the game, has anyone got close to them? And the thing is, there were so many amazing sevens. So Claire Malloy is unbelievable, world-class. Justine Lavier for the Black Ferns, unbelievable. There was like, you know, I, I can't even think about all of the different ones, but um, I think Malloy in particular, you know, she's an incredible, incredible player. But Maggie was just like, Definitely another level, yeah. Gravy, yeah. Um, but to be honest, like to be named, like a big honor to be named part of that team. Pardon? Does it feel like a massive honor? Do you feel very proud of yourself, or is it a kind of, you know, oh, thanks? No, I do. I I, important thing because it is. No, no, I genuinely feel really proud because I think from for me, one of my driving forces, in particular in 2017, and why I took the took the concussion. Um, to miss the final so hard was because you know I'd gone through a lot mentally I decided you know did I want to retire and one of my motivators was to prove to myself that I could be the best player in my position in the world and playing in a world cup final would help determine that and I think that that was kind of like genuinely was my thought process there was obviously a lots and lots of other factors and I wasn't just gunning for that but but I think for it's it's really hard in a team environment to get a a global award but to get it specifically for your position means that you've done something well in that shirt for that amount of time and like I played across different positions but um to know that people have voted me into that because of the impact I had through the decade and also it was the last it was the second half of my career you know I started in 2003 so um I think that was that was really cool and I think anything where you're voted by your peers but also like but also people in the media people from other countries in particular like that's what was cool and I think what was a shame really I texted a couple of the girls and and said like Matt like so proud of them to to get in but I wish they'd been on those conversations I wish they'd heard what people said about them because it's so special because you rarely ever get to say how amazing someone is when they're not one of your friends or they're not somebody you know you've got massive amount of respect and you can show that. But the the things that were said about, you know, my teammates, the things I was able to express about my teammates and also about people I've played against, like, you know, that was part of my criteria when I was thinking is who in the team would I think, oh my God, like I can't play against that person, you know, they're like brutal. Um, they're gonna be one of the biggest challenges for us. And that was part of like the, the influence of how, who got the, the shirt for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think we need to we need to mention Skaz because she was the only player in the women's in the women's team that um, that had all ten votes, um, which I think is just amazing, um, amazing for her to own that um, is is class. And like for me, I think the other side of it is the 
the fact that I got to play with a load of them in the Barbarian shirt. Um, yeah. And so not just the Red Roses, you take for granted that England are such a dominant force. They're world-class players all the way through. There were so many players that missed out that could have been in there easily, that nearly were in it. But then it's the other people that you... When you get to play with them in the Barbarians, you get to see who they are um, as people as much as players. And you go, yeah, you know what? You are as cool as you seem on the field. Um, and finally, you're not smashing me. I've got you to smash my... <laughs> in particular, Linda Tunu. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, okay then. So that's Nolly the player. I want to know some of Nolly the coach's top tips following this autumn series. I know there's been a few things that have perhaps wound you up a little bit or things that you think can be built on or things that you've seen and you've been very happy with so what are nolly the coach's top tips following <laughs> autumn in nation's cup um so actually thinking about the barbarians game there's a photograph of me i go up for the air go up in the air to catch a ball and lydia thompson and i knew she had overrun it and she's not like she she made team of the decade she's unbelievable world 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 class best probably one of the best wingers I've ever played alongside actually just anyway but I knew she'd overcooked her run I knew she was going to probably hit me and to delay my set delay the time that I got to the floor I tucked my legs and there's a photograph of me doing a really really high tuck jump as she's hitting me which is it's like it's cool apart from my facials and the <laughs> strain in my neck but one thing I've noticed actually and something that is fascinating and for other people working with young players or co you know coaching now is how you cat how you coach catching a high ball yeah and you know the fact that you cannot be hit in the air um the fact that um you know the implications if you do get touched in the air are a penalty for you obviously you know is to protect people when i grew up they always used to you'd see this one knee up so you'd go high hand high high shoulder um high like 
high hand, high elbow, high shoulder, high hip, high knee. And so you'd end up with this, like basically with one knee up and then they'd say high toes. So you'd put your studs up. So basically to say, and this is like going back on years and years ago, that people wouldn't want to run into your studs. Yeah. So your foot is there. Yeah. Um, and actually Mike Brown did a version of it by mistake and basically did a um, Eric Hansen on someone's chest the other day, not intentional at all, but it was like pretty awful. Anyway, um, but now what you're seeing is instead of like going up one footed, you do leap like that, but also you tuck your other leg up because then there's a delay. There's a, a longer time before you hit the floor, which means... The onus if- on the player to stop somebody from hitting them because now that player coming to them isn't allowed to touch them anyway well you can no so basically there are collisions in the air when you're both going for the ball when you're both looking at the ball and like they're fair it's a fair contest when it's not a fair contest is when someone just leaps and jumps and smashes you without going for the ball or they tackle you before your feet touch the floor now it could be one blade of grass that's touching your stud and i've had that and oh my god you get absolutely mullered and it's probably why i do it because i don't want to get smashed but it's just something to look at look out for um, I think it's really cool. It's about body management. It's about understanding control. When you hit the floor, you're in a slightly different position. Um, but the implications of the timing of the person running and to make that tackle, if you delay it by a split second, they have to stop. And so they they therefore lose a lot of momentum. It's a bit geeky, but I do love it. Does it mean that you're landing with two feet as opposed to one feet as well? One feet, one foot. Are you giving yourself a firmer base when you do land with the ball? Yeah, I think, yeah, actually, to be fair, that's a good shot because normally you hit with, you'd go up with one and land on one. So as you come down with two, you're probably more likely to, to split stance. Um, yeah, when you land. Um, I hadn't thought about I, that. Um, I would love for you to see, there's a video doing the rounds of Harry Kane. Um, and it would be perhaps quite interesting for you to go into a few Premier League clubs and do a little coaching session uh, ahead of teams playing Spurs because what he does to players who are going up to head a ball in rugby would be a red card every day of the week and then some it is insane it's him backing into someone isn't it yeah so he basically as soon as someone goes up in the air he will turn his body and run backwards into them and make out that he hasn't seen them, but then he goes down with them. And in in a couple of instances, he's won the, like, I don't know what you call it in football, the foul, I guess. It, yeah. it, it's gone his way, despite the fact that in rugby, he'd be off the field for that. Like, yeah. and the reality is, and it, you know, on social media this morning, there were a few players who were like, oh, you'd get a red card for that in rugby. Sometimes you trivialise it a little bit. What he's doing, the reason that it's a red card in rugby is because it's so dangerous to take yeah. someone out in the air and take away their ability to land themselves safely on the ground. Yeah. Because you could break your neck. Yeah, no, it is mad, to be fair. And actually, you get tipped so quickly in, um, in the air. Like, it is a bit yeah. crazy. And you see some players, I think, Anthony Watson. Gravity, isn't it? Anthony Watson went up. I, oh, the worst is when you land on your coccyx. Like, oh, God, it's like brutal because you've lost your feet. Um, I think, yeah, so just for any coaches, it's not, I'm not saying jump in a tuck jump. I'm saying it's the same technique to launch, but you then just bring up your other leg and then it just delays the, the landing a little bit. Um, but yeah, the other side, the other thing that um, I'm going to put it out there on the podcast before anyone steals it because I have mentioned it to a couple of people. Oh, okay. But. So loads of, and what we're seeing loads at the moment is obviously pick and go tries. And the problem is 
you're now seeing new techniques where forwards it's mental they're just it like they they just fly head first they try and put their arms around but they're just chopping them at the shins and it is rank and like when i see training like it and games i'm like no way someone actually i said to me at the weekend like does that hurt i was like i was never near it i don't know i was on the far side of the field like no um come on guys but something so there was one there was a it was a whale i think it was wales italy um or might have been the week before, basically, one of the players goes into, runs into the tent, so Garbisi. And Garbisi's, like, desperately trying to, to hold some grip. But there's no way, momentum, if you're shoulder to shoulder in a sprinter stance with somebody, or, like, in a yeah, sprinter stance with someone, the heavier player's going to win because it's just momentum and, and, and strength. So I think, and I did this years ago, um, when I was playing for Wasps, my first ever game, when we went, I'd left Bristol, moved to Wasps, and the first game we played Bristol away. Oh my God. It would, it, like, I think the Wasps girls were doing it on purpose just to take the piss out of me because I made nearly 18 tackles on back five players. So back five of the scrum, right? So, and, and actually one of the, like, it was horrendous. And actually in that game, to be fair, Claire Malloy died at me because I didn't even make those tackles, but they were just barreling through, barreling through. I was battered. And then all of a sudden, Izzy Noel Smith, right? So she's an absolute tank, gets the ball about five metres from the line and the guard is like looking away as if to be, I'm like, oh God, I've got to get in the position. <laughs> I'm never here. I thought the only way I can stop it, I can't, if I push my shoulder into her, she's just going to literally just push me like a spring and I'm not going to spring back. I'm just going to swing. And, like, you know, um, so I just thought I'm going to have to koala bear her. I'm going to have to hug her and the ball and sacrificed my spine. <laughs> and so I managed to basically wrap my arms and my legs around her like a baby slash a koala. And when she landed, she landed on me, which did knock a bit of wind out of me, but no try because my body was engrossed in it. So a little bit of an interesting one. Is this potentially a new tackle technique? The way that you do it is you throw your feet up and around somebody and pull them down onto you rather than trying to propel them away from the line. Does that make sense? It does, but I feel like, what are we going to call it? Like the kamikaze koala or the limpet or... The limpet. <laughs> I quite like the limpet. And actually, to be fair, I was at so HSBC um, Premier Suite last year in Dubai. There was a lady that knew um izzy had text izzy to say nolly's in the premier suite what shall i ask her and izzy had actually said ask her to show you the koala tackle so i decided to ask brian banner can i do the koala tackle on you and he was like naively said yes in front of thousands or a couple of hundred people hey, should have Gregan. of all the people who would have been there Gregan <laughs> would have been a better bet for that no, I think it had more of an impact because Brian's really lovely and he didn't expect anything and I basically smashed him and grabbed him and Anyway, great. Okay. <laughs> well, they're Nolly's coaching tips. Tell you what though, frustration oh. as a coach player, the whole situation... You're Pardon? You're not a player anymore? If I was a player. Okay. If I was a player. What's that song <laughs> that I've just made up? If I was a rich man. <laughs> yeah, if I was a player... I'm, I don't know. I'm like, leave it. <laughs> um, it's from Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, okay. That's a good name. Gwen Stefani covered it, obviously. Yeah, that's, I, I do like a bit Gwen Stefani. 
Um, I know where you're going with this, your frustration, and it's it's going to be deliberate knock-ons, isn't it? It breaks me. Like, you get a yellow card for putting your hand out to potentially get an intercept that everyone would be absolutely juicing over if you got it. If you don't, you get the same penalty, you get the same sanction as if you take someone's head off in a tackle. And I just, and so it, it got me, frust- it's been frustrating me for a little while because it's not to the letter of the, right, so they brought it in last season to the letter of the law. If you put your hand out, yellow card, right? Yeah. Okay, bam. Then they've kind of eased off and so it's a penalty. So it's, right. And then, so then instantly it's down to interpretation. Now this is not by any means a dig at referees and maybe we can get Coxie on because I feel like they're in a really bad position because Wayne Barnes, um France, Italy, Italian puts his hand out to potentially go for the intercept. He doesn't smash it down. He go he's actually you actually see in slow motion his hand move upwards, yeah. but it goes forward. Nigel Owens, by the letter of the law, which he's gonna do, yellow card. In that time, 19 points were scored. The first try came from um uh, a line break that would have been covered by that position. Now he was off the field, Triller, the number 14, and, and he, they lost the game. At that point, Italy had managed to kind of stay in it because they were frustrating France. As soon as that try happened, it was like, right, floodgates were open, momentum, st- confidence. Last week, um, Ireland, Scotland, player of the 30 min- first 30 minutes, Duncan Taylor, absolutely levelled um, Johnny Sexton. was actually the one that gave him the dead leg, I think. Carries, uh, communication, organisation, unbelievable shoots out the line, goes to smother tackle, stops the tackle but knocks it on because his arm is in the way. Because it's potentially a try-scoring opportunity because there was an overlap, yellow card, you take a player off the field, but you take the most influential player at that moment off the field. Hoggy was having an awesome game, but like it was because he was getting a good platform. And Ireland couldn't play because Duncan Taylor was just getting up and smashing people. And then they Ireland score before half time, and then momentum's like massively in Ireland's favour. And I just feel like it's it's mad. Like it's such a they need to look at like they ha- and and it is it's 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 easier said than done, and I get that. But there needs to be something. And someone said about um, uh, I don't know they tweeted me or someone said something about uh, I don't know if it's like a handball in football, so it's. Um, hand to ball or ball to hand um, and I don't know like whether but I think the weird at... thing is that in rugby for so long with like foul play with I mean now it's been taken out for because of player safety but we've talked about intent intent has been something that had been written into our law book for so many years for so many different things and surely when it comes to it you know it, it's called a deliberate knock-on but the reality is that in in certain instances, it's not a deliberate knock-on. It's a knock-on as a result of deliberately trying to stop a try. And it that's where it this accusation that it's a professional foul, when that I think that's the the issue there. That and it, I also again I feel a lot at the moment like I keep talking about um the negativity within rugby and the things that I'm I'm acutely aware and concerned about the fact that 
at the moment, rugby isn't a hugely mass appeal sport. We are becoming a greater niche sport all the time. And I don't want to see that happen. This is the sport I've grown up loving. But it, for some reason, it increasingly feels like it's becoming a bit of a close shop. These are the rules. These are the laws that alienate people because people can't get their head around it. People well, if think, I can't, think, and but, I'm a complete norm. Yeah, and that's, that's what I mean. If you were somebody who didn't watch rugby and for the first time you're watching a rugby match and you watch that, you'd look at Duncan Taylor and you'd go, oh, great defence. Oh, no, it's not. He's being yellow carded for what he just did. And that's yeah. where I think there needs to be a more holistic approach to some of these things we need to take a step back to look in and maybe if that does mean law variation trials like we've seen around the world i think that's the thing that seems weird at the moment that for a long time in the early noughties we saw law variation trials things like the white card you know i'm going to refer this to be looked at after the game because i'm not sure what it is here and now all these different things that we've trialed at the moment it doesn't feel like we trial anything we just keep making changes yeah I, yeah and you know what you're completely right and i just feel like it's the inter- it's the interpretation of the intent and you know i know pretty pretty much one of the reasons why it's there is that so that you can't you can't slap the ball down yeah. um and you can't you know on a two-on-one you can't just you know push your hand out because that's the easy option than having to make the tackle do you know what i mean but then the need so but now now there's I think what what I'm really worried about, and this is what frustrated me with the Truler incident in the Italy game, was well, and both of them basically is actually positive what they've just done. We want to encourage defenders to like with Duncan Taylor coming out the line, shooting, going and getting someone. Like we're talking about like positive actions from a defense, def, like from a defensive player. You know, Truler, his hands came upwards. If he'd caught that ball and run the length, everyone would have gone berserk because Italy had scored an intercept try against France and yet because he doesn't quite catch it because it gets knocked on it he it lose they lose the game and yeah all right they possibly would have lost the game anyway but that's not the point it's like how can something be so definitive like have such an impact if it is right or wrong you've said there which is the crux of a lot of these issues is it's interpretation. And I'm trying to think what game it has been that I've done this year where I was in the truck and it was a Liam Williams and it went to a TMO to see if it was a deliberate knock on. And in the truck, we're, we're replaying angles of this and it's what direction is this hand pointing? And you're thinking one TMO can sit in there and make a decision on this the next week a completely different person makes a different decision and then you go to studio and you have comments like well it's liam williams nine times out of ten but then how can you quantify that over another player because yeah liam williams nine times out of ten might have gathered that ball and he was going for it and then there might be a prop where you say oh joe marler once out of ten he's going to catch it but how do you know that that wasn't the once out of ten that he was going to gather that ball and that's where i feel like we that's where there's an issue. Nothing's black and white. There's, and we're, we're increasing the grey area because we are a sport, I think, that think we've got so much grey matter. And that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, there was a situation. Was it the... I feel like maybe one of the Champions Cup games where a prop went for the ball and they said, oh, there's no way he would have caught it. And I think it was because I was with Chris Ashton and Chris Ashton said, 
no Nolly, there's no way he would have caught it because he's a prof. And I was like, come on, like, you know, but I just feel like insert tries and are the, some of the most exciting. And because it literally is like panic stations, like, ah, like yeah. <laughs> That's when you we... see second rows that have got the turning circle of cruise ships. <laughs> but no, well, or when you see like mad, mad cover, try saving tackles or yeah. like just completely against the grain. And, and I just feel like if, you know, and, and like I said with Duncan Taylor, I'm going to keep going on. We'll, we'll stop talking about all of this, but we want to encourage defenders to be brave, to make decisions where there is, it's literally about a 12 on one and he's yeah. made the decision. I got to come up and shut this down. It is exactly yeah. the right decision. But if you get a yellow card for that decision, like, is he going to make that decision again? If a, other, if a, a younger player watching it is seeing that, you know, when we're saying go and get them, yeah, then, and he's like, well, you know, it's so. And we're I think... also taking, take, talking about it from a defensive framework perspective, and it's interesting that you mentioned Chris Ashton because Chris Ashton's most famous try comes from an in- intercept at Twickenham. That yeah, there's a difference between Chris Ashton scoring one of the most iconic tries, probably second most iconic try to be scored at Twickenham, in my humble opinion, uh, versus <laughs> Johnny Mays the other day. <laughs> versus. A knockdown, yellow card, he's off the field for 10 minutes. England lose that game to Australia. So, and that's where, yeah, we want things to be exciting. But I don't think that this is something that promotes excitement. If anything, it's going to start to dampen. I just feel like it needs to be, um, unless there is massive intent, like yellow cards are huge now. They, they are so huge. And it could it be... Um, like a, like the free kick or penalty like you know, do you know what I mean those are the two versions of it or like you base or I don't know just a penalty or something but um anyway should we move on yeah so next uh there were we've well, got a of list of questions today to wrap uh, I just wanted to get through it because otherwise we waffle like we are um there were fans at Twickenham but there have also been fans in at Premier 15's games yeah yeah it was really cool and actually I didn't tune into to much of it because I was super bogged down with watching all the Nations Cup games, the Autonations Cup games, but managed to have on whilst Ireland um, playing Scotland on my phone. I had um, Wasp v Loughborough Lightning, uh, unbelievable result for Wasps to get a win like that. Um, and to see a crowd and to hear actual noise. Um, so I just am really, pr- I'm really proud of women's rugby, you know, actually that it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit because there's so much been happening with Gallagher premiership restarting, um, the autumn nations cup, the, um, like all of the, what's the name of the games over in New Zealand and Australia championship. Yeah. That's the bad boy. Nations. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the, that's the bad boy but actually because all of that's been going on we've kind of forgotten that the women's game is as still deemed as a semi-professional amateur sport it's been able to continue continue successfully there has been unfortunately a breakout in the saracens camp so they've had to cancel two games but that's i think there's only been around five or six games cancelled so hat tips to all of them i think it's been brilliant yeah, and you know what? It that's as much as it's a semi-professional league. It shows a huge level of professionalism, resourcefulness, and maturity to have preserved the league as it's been so far. And we're all very thankful about that. Right, and moving on to the next thing. Um, <laughs> do you want me to get you a season ticket for the Blues? 
with me and dad <laughs> you're such an idiot <laughs> so, i know exactly what you're referring to as well because i'm just thinking like i, I saw your, the announcement on twitter your university crush Dwayne Peel <laughs> is coming to the blues to be senior assistant coach we sit right behind the director's box so you'd be real I'm, well. I'm there yeah you know it's on the list I, block three I am dreading the moment that I am with you in a bar in Cardiff or somewhere not even in a bar because I think if I've had a few drinks I won't mind but just in the most awkward cringeworthy environment where you announce it to him He's super shy and quiet and awkward. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to do and probably, uh, yeah, because it's actual fact. Like I get actually, I actually I fancy him. So, <laughs> you're so flustered. I'm doing red now. It's so much. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I honestly, I'm so excited. I, the Blues aren't doing great at the moment. I really hope they qualify for Champions Cup rugby next season because... <laughs> I'm going to tee this up with your producers. Do you know what I think would be great? Why don't you send Nolly to interview Dwayne Peel? Um, maybe we could do it like a Valentine's Day theme. No? Uh, no. Right. On that embarrassing Euro- note. European rugby. European rugby. That's what I want to talk about next. It's five I, I've got six minutes to order food from... Okay, well... Um, from room service because I'm currently sat in a hotel room so okay well these are the two final questions number one how excited are you for European rugby being back this weekend yay number two (coughs) one of the games is Scarlet's Bath do you know what those two teams play for when they face each other I have no idea well, this is something that you need to ask your dad about, Big Jim. So the Scarlet's Bath match is one that I love because since March 1921, so 100 years next year, those two teams have played off for a ragdoll. It is known as the ragdoll match. It is not the really? same. It, it is. The ragdoll will be on the post on the weekend. So look out for it. Um, it's not the same ragdoll for the whole 99 years. Uh, we know that one of them is buried at the bottom of the Avon after a very historic bath win in the 1980s, I believe. So maybe that's one that Jim was involved in. Uh, But yeah, so that's a little fact for everyone this weekend. If you see the ragdoll on the post and you wonder what it is, it's what screenshot it, get a shot and tag us. Yeah, Tag us in it. So send us pictures of the ragdoll. So when you see it on screen, send us a picture. Bye everybody. Nice to be back. See you soon. See you soon.